Right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good man, alright. Um, nice to have the Champions League back and mm-hmm. uh, European competitions, enjoyed that. I imagine um, there were some Braga fans as well, pretty excited to hear... Um, well, I've got a lot of friends who are Arsenal fans, and they were making a big thing about um, hearing that music. Do you know what I mean? Like Which music? Which the music? Oh, the Champions theme. League music. I see what you mean. Um, yeah. So they were very excited about that. Um, so I was just thinking, yeah, I imagine. I think Braga must be the same. I guess all football fans must be the same. It's it's quite a. I don't know. I I love the Champions League. I, it's. I think it's because it was um used to be on ITV, didn't it? So that used to be like some of the only football we could watch because we never had uh, Sky Sports when we were younger. Um, yeah, I remember racing home from. I think we did some sort of club after school and just try, trying to get there for kickoff. And saw some good games, man. I remember seeing. Was it the Man U Roma? Was it seven one? I remember that watching that game with you. I think that was quite crazy. That mm. was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, long time since we've had sort of free to air football on UK TV. But you know, that's a whole a whole other area uh, of discussion. Um, yeah, shame for Braga in the Champions League, though. I suppose we should just touch on that quickly. Obviously, differing different fortunes for uh, Portuguese clubs in Europe. Porto sort of bucked the 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 form that they had been on in the league and actually looked really impressive against Shakhtar Donetsk. I think it was 3-1 in the end. You know, Wanderson Galeno scoring two goals in, in 20 minutes. And you just, I, sometimes I just look at that guy and I think, like, he either plays like Cristiano Ronaldo or he just plays like your mate down the park who, who can't finish. Um, but yeah, he had a great game. Benfica, I forget the team that they played, but it was a was it Salzburg? They lost two 0 at home, and you know the thing I thought about that game was that they just looked uncharacteristically nervous. Like we never see Benfica looking nervous because all you know we mainly just watch uh, Premier League, uh, the cups, the Portuguese cups, and then they've looked good in in in, in Europe recently. But they looked, they just looked nervous. I'm not not sure what that was all about. Braga. 2-1, they lost to Napoli at home. First game in Champions League group stage in a long time. Felt so. I mean, we're going to come on to this. I felt a bit sorry for Nyak, I'd say. Like, own goal. Um, I think they would have been a bit disappointed with that result, you know. They they almost got a draw. And then Sporting coming from behind. Listen, mate, I'm not going to try and remember what the name of the team they played was. Some Austrian team. Um, but they came from behind to win 2-1. So, differing fortunes, you know. Two wins, two losses. I think Braga would be a little bit disappointed not to at least get a point in Benfica I don't know what that was all about Antonio Silva red card was just shocking mm. I thought he was a bit unlucky for that it seems to bounce off yeah yeah the handball was a bit yeah but anyway I mean yeah I think it was it was a yeah quite an interesting start for these teams in in Europe but um, I think it's, they're just getting started aren't they and I think um, we'll talk about it with some of the games in the league as well but I think now we're getting into the real rhythm of the season aren't we the real you know this is where it starts things start panning out um and we'll see how the how the teams cope with it all. But um, no, for, well, just personally and, and from a, an unbiased point of view in terms of the team I support, I just I do. I think the Champions League themes like the, the best music in football. It, it, um, although it was the one that Ness and Dorma is pretty good, but Italian ninety, yeah, but I, I don't, but that yeah. wasn't written especially for no, the yeah for the competition so as an original theme tune yeah I mean there there, will, there are those Barney who will, who will claim that Europa League um, theme tune is better than the Champions League but yeah I'm not I'm not having any of it I think those people are just 
uh, resigned to the fact that their team is going to spend most of their time in the Europa League, aren't they? Not you know, naming no names. <laughs> Do you remember when we first started this podcast and one of the things we did every week was play the a team from the league's anthem or their, their song? That was quite Mate, interesting. Those were the glory days. <laughs> Ten downloads per week, just listening to the Morrowind's theme tune. Brilliant days, man. We should do that again. We should bring that back. Let us that. know on, on, on Twitter or, or or somewhere if you want us to uh, bring that section back where we played the uh, theme tune to a club every Could week. Could be a that Patreon bonus. Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> Lovely. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's not waste any more time. I feel like I say that at the beginning of every episode. Let's not waste any more time. We're going to get into um, the main podcast in just a second. We're going to talk about all the best games from the Premier League this week. And then at the end, stay tuned because we're going to do uh, a brief preview of uh, next week's Classico because uh, you might have heard that there's a game on next Friday, Barney. Quite a big one. So we're going to chat about that. Before we get stuck in, though, just as always, a reminder that if you're enjoying the show and you want to give us a little bit of support, you can do so by leaving a review on Apple podcast a star rating on spotify sharing the show with your friends or going one step further and becoming a long ball football socio on our patreon page and that's just one pound a month so excellent value even if i do say so myself um but let's get stuck into it barney let's uh let's not waste any more time and start with probably the most exciting game of the season so far I am, of course, talking about Braga versus Bovis. This is a game that we picked up quite a lot um, at the end of last week's podcast. It was an opportunity for Bovista, the team who sat top of the table at the beginning of July the 6th, to test themselves against one of the league's top clubs. Um, they were coming up against a Braga side who were a little bit out of form, you have to say. Bovista had already passed one test against Benfica in Jornada 1 and we were eager to see whether they could do it again in Jornada 6. Uh, the first 30 minutes of this game, Bonnie, I have to say were one of the best 30 minutes of football I think we've seen in the league so far this season. Great spectacle. Um, each team scored once in the first 30 minutes. Both teams looked dangerous um, but there was a big moment half an hour into the game, of course, ascending off for Bovish to captain Seba Perez that gave Braga the opportunity that they wanted and they took it going on to win the game 4-1. Two goals from Ricardo Horta, a penalty from Ali Almazrati and a wonderful team goal. Finished off by Simon Banza, gave Braga a much-needed win because it's easy to forget, Barney. Braga lost their previous league game, uh, quite humiliating. 3-1 lost for friends and they'd lost in the Champions League. So they needed something to bounce back from and I think they, they really got it in this game. Yes, uh, I mean, I'm sorry I was to, to go straight into this because I, I I know you want to talk about the more the game as a whole, but I I, I do. I've, I've tried to steer the conversation a certain way, Barney. You're, yeah. not, you're not taking it. <laughs> no, I, I really want to talk about this red card uh, for Sebastian Perez. Um, for those who didn't watch the game or, or don't know, what, what seemed to happen was um, Sebastian Perez fouled uh, Pitsy, who was seemed to be on the break, and uh, it was shown a yellow card by is it uh, Suarez Diaz, the referee. Um, it's reported and what you can sort of see from the replays is that he then seems to speak, speak back to the referee and say, well, what's apparently he said is that in, in the Champions League, this wouldn't be a yellow. So sort of um, questioning the referee's decision. The referee then 
because of that shows him a second yellow and um for talking back essentially and and uh, Sebastian Perez is sent off um the reason I want to talk about it is because I think it's 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 so annoying it's so bad it's so poor um I've seen differing opinions I don't know if you have one of those you're one of those people who who, who sort of agree with the referee but for me I think and this was this was on the same day that um we had the North London derby in England, uh, Arsenal v Tottenham, which is always a quite a heated game. I remember watching that during uh, and sort of they were, the commentators were talking about that during the game, sort of saying how the referee, when you when you have big derbies, the referees really have to sort of think about the the occasion, right? And they have to sort of manage the game so that it doesn't they don't lose control of it. And by that they mean don't give it, try not to give out early yellows if you can, because then you know you've made a rod free and back, and you're going to have to dish out. A, it could be just you know, lots of yellows. Um, same with red cards, really. And, and I, I think in the moment, everyone was sort of as 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 we spoke about. You know, this was one of the biggest games of the season. You know, top versus Braga. Um, it was a really interesting derby. I felt like the referee should have should have seen the occasion and understood it, right? But then I was thinking even more. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary just down to this game. I think we've seen it plenty of times this season. Referees. Going too strong too early, giving out unnecessary yellows. We've seen quite a few uh, two yellow expulsions this season already. This game, like I think we've seen, and some of them seem instinctively quite soft. I think, like be it the first yellow or the second yellow, you know, there's always there's felt a few where it's just been like that. That doesn't seem quite right. And the, the reason is that these red cards have such huge effects on the game. It's such a disadvantage of the team. It's so obviously a disadvantage for Boavista and this game because, as you alluded to, that it was quite tight before the. The red card and it's I always remember I can't remember well I, I think many people have said it you know a, a good refereeing performance is when you don't really notice that the referee's been involved in the game right and I think too too often in Portugal we have referees getting too too involved to like the just having too too much of an effect on the game you know their decisions their rewarding of penalties the the, the cards they give out it just has if we feel, I feel like we're talking about decisions an awful lot, and it was a shame that it happened in this game because, like you know, we were very excited. This was a big game, and I think it could have been a, a, a it would have been a hell of a spectacle to see this game play out with eleven players. And I just think it was an unnecessary and over the top reaction. Um, he could have. I get it, I get it. Perez was sort of chatting back to me, but. I feel like you could let it slide, and and it's it's not that much of a big deal for someone to sort of qu- say something about the Champions League that you've been refereeing. Like it's 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 not enough to send a player off, man. So I I, I do disagree with you on this. I do come on down on the other side of the fence on this debate. Although, but you, you do make some really good points there, actually, that I hadn't considered. And I think I was actually thinking at the time this is not the first time we've seen, as you described it, a, a double yellow. And by that I mean a player who's given a yellow card and then immediately earns himself a second yellow and is sent off for a secondary offence. It's not the first time we've seen that in Portugal. And I think, you know, the whole refereeing situation is, is very interesting because, you know, the, those games, and, and we've all seen them, we've probably seen one or two this season, where there is a referee who does lose control of the game. Um, as you say, I think that does often come around from a referee getting his card out too early and, and you know, giving, say, three, four, five yellow cards in the first half and suddenly you've got nowhere to go from there. You know, you can't you can't then increase your authority from that point when you're just dishing out yellow cards for everything. So I do totally agree with those points. But I, I do I actually don't blame the ref in this situation. And you say he should have been more lenient. 
Um, I would be interested to know where this has come from. If it is genuine in the referee's report that he has said the yellow card was given because of this comment that Seba Perez has made about the Champions League. If that's in the referee's report, then then fine. But I don't. I haven't seen anything that says that is in the referee's report. And from what you see on the pitch, you say he should have given him a chance. I think he does give him a chance. He gives him the yellow, and then Seba Perez has his has his moment. You know that kind of outpouring of emotion which I think the referee does let off. The problem is that he comes back and, and does it again. So for me, I think this does fall down at Seba Perez's door. So I would to jump in. He's the captain though, right? So you yep. normally you would have, you'd have that back and forth and then the ref might call the captain over. So I, I wonder if the fact that he is the captain is the reason he's, he's gone that bit step further and given the red or, or whether if he wasn't, he might've called the captain over to sort of tell him to calm down or whatever. Yeah, maybe. But then I do think there's also the manner in which he protests as well. And I don't think it's a conversation. It is, you know, he's criticizing the referee's decision, which I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose he's in with, within his rights to do that, but also you have to accept the, the, the referee's decision. And I think he doesn't, he doesn't let it go. You talk about him being a captain, right? I think this was a real example of a captain in a, in a game, which is probably one of the bigger games that they've been a captain for. And I think he he showed his inexperience. Seba Perez, I mean, showed his inexperience in this game because I think as the captain of this team, with his team sitting top of the table, position they're not, you know, they're not used to, they weren't expected to be in. I think he should have recognised that his role in this situation was to be a leader and not get himself sent off and he wasn't able to do that and he wasn't able to control himself to where he 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 didn't get sent off and I think it was a justified second yellow card because I think he he does over protest and I think any other player on the pitch would get that yellow card for those protests that he made whether or not the original foul had been a yellow whether or not you know whether or not the foul had been attributed to a different player and then another player would come in to protest. I think any player on the pitch would have got a yellow card for those protests that he made. And I think it was a real um, a real example of, of immaturity. And you compare the two captains in this game, Barney. You've got Ricardo Horta on the one hand, Braga, talismanic player for them, experienced player, a leader. You know, the guy was born to be a captain. You know, this is a big game for Braga. Off the back of two defeats on the bounce, a game which they could easily slip up in again and he puts in what I would consider a captain's performance. Two goals, best player on the pitch, leads from the front. And you compare that with Seba Perez, who plays 30 minutes in the game and gets himself so worked up that he gets himself sent off and lets down his teammates. So I think you genuinely do make some good points about the ref. And I, I completely agree that um, referees too often do go for the yellow card too quickly. Um, I just don't think that this particular case is is one way the ref went too soon I think I think I think the ref got it right and I didn't enjoy it because I was I was enjoying the game and you know as I described that first 30 minutes of the game was fantastic I think obviously Braga were on top I think in the first 30 minutes but Boa Vista looked well in it and when they got that goal back through Thiago Moraes you're looking at the game thinking you know they're bang up for this and we know that Braga have conceded a lot of goals this season and so they may well score but I always thought there were goals in this Braga game the red card does kill it and it does take um, take the heat out of Burbage's game. They almost did get an equaliser though because Braga went 2-1 up in the first half. They did almost get an equaliser at the end of, of the first half, even with 10 men. But in the end, um, it wasn't enough. So, listen, I, I sympathise with him, but I do think, unfortunately, as much as I would have loved to watch an even game with 11v11, it was the right decision. 
Yeah, I mean, Boavista are already sort of slightly handicapped. Um, they had Salvador Agra playing sort of right back with the injury to um, Pedro Mayero, uh, who's going to be a big loss for them because he's been so effective from that right back position. But um, you mentioned Thiago Marai, um, the uh, sort of the youngster we've been sort of praising a lot recently on the wing. What a lovely finish for his goal on the, I think it's the left foot. He seems to be scorer of both feet. I'm not entirely sure what his strong foot is. Um, yeah, he was, he's, he's, he's looked excellent. So, um, those were the positives for Boavista, but then I think you know we've we've, we've talk, briefly talked about Braga's performance in the Champions League and how that's probably what they wanted. You alluded to the loss the previous game, even their win against Morens the other week, which was sort of a last minute winner for Masrati. You know they seem to be struggling. They this were two a, one down in that game until close to ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know this is um, the way the game pan out. This is ideal for Braga. This sort of little boost of confidence. Um, it's nice to see Banzer getting a sort of string of starts in the league and, and, and getting some goals. That's I think that's going to be really um, important for them because uh, we seems to be the thing we always talk about Alvarez, but he hasn't quite got that goal-scoring form yet, although he's ahead of a player. And Alvarez Rassi, let's talk about him because he's been he's been out for a little while. He's had a few injuries himself. Playing alongside Zalazar in this game, who, who also looks excellent. I think there was... What was the goal where it's like Zalazar pinged it into the box, a beautiful ball, and there's a volley across the face, and then I, I don't know who put it in. Is it Banzer? Sorry, that was Banzer's goal. Yeah, that yeah, was, that, uh, I think I mean, it was. That the, was I think it was the second goal. That was absolutely stunning, wasn't it? And, and so Zalazar sort of come into the team now and show what he can offer. But sorry, I, I, I skipped over Mizrachi right there. Just he, when he's in the team, they're so much better, right? I mean, he, he's he's just an incredible player. I think. I saw a statistic, I think, in the top five leagues in Europe and um, including the Portuguese and in addition to the Portuguese league in terms of progressive passes. I think Koshu's right at the top, Almirachi's third and that's in the whole of Europe, man. You know, that really shows what he's what he can do. He's not just a tackler, he's not just an enforcer. You know, he's he's got a bit of everything. And so, yeah, him coming back into the side really, really helps Braga and um, hopefully he can stay fit and, and, and keep playing there. Yeah, a lot of positives positives for Braga like I said and I think I also I also noticed Rodrigo Zalazar like you and I think I mean I, I don't watch every game of Braga's like the full 90 minutes but um this is the first time I watched him play uh live and, and I thought he was absolutely phenomenal for me other than Ricardo Horta he was he was the best player on the pitch and it was that second goal for 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 Banza I definitely urge anyone listening because I know not everyone watches all the games so I definitely urge anyone listening to go back and stick the highlights on for this game just purely for that pass I think for me that's the goal of the week because of that pass where he, he pings it out to uh Vitor Vitor Gomez little touchdown for Banza to finish and it's a um a beautiful key a beautiful team goal. Just some stats for you on, on Zalazar Barney. Such an excellent range of passing. He had two key passes in the game, one being the pre-assist for, for Banzer's goal. Seven out of seven long balls completed. 90% pass accuracy overall. Um, so yeah, brilliant game for for, for Rodrigo Zalazar. Um, I kind of alluded to it before we, before we started this section, Barney, that there was a player I wanted to talk about for Braga and for me that is uh, Siku Nyakate, the, the young French centre back. Um I think it's really interesting to have a discussion about him because he's had a he's had a tough week on paper. Um of course well noted now that in the Champions League against Napoli he scored that own goal which gave uh, Napoli the winner. And then in this game, before it was a ten V eleven, he gave the ball away for, for Boavish's goal. It was a it was a sloppy pass that let Boavista in and Thiago Moraes finished. Now, I, f- I saw a lot of people after the game saying, you know, 
Uh, and Yaka Tsai, he's a he's a he's a shadow of his is of his former self from from last season. I don't know if I entirely agree with that. I would I would argue personally that in both these games, both against Napoli and against Boavista, I think his performance has been better than what a singular mistake suggests. So just for example, in in against Napoli, I thought he was very good all game in a very big game, Champions League standard. He had to deal with Victor Osimhen. He didn't deal with him perfectly all the time, but he had a really good go and showed that he wasn't far off the level of of someone like Osimhen. And then he's really unlucky in that kind of last moment of the game, so to put the ball in the back of his own net. Um, this game, he so he I looked at some of his stats again. He he gave the ball away five times this game, Barney. Now, without context, that might be hard to kind of understand where that puts him in terms of the team but that was one of the lowest in the whole team I think it was something like the joint fourth lowest of, of any player in the whole team just to put it in context the the player who gave the ball away most times is Victor Gomez who gave it away 14 times so that kind of gives you an idea of, of someone who's having a bad game outside of that he made uh he won three out of three ground jewels made two clearances he had a 93 percent pass accuracy he completed three out of five long passes so I just think you know Maybe people think I'm biased because everyone knows I'm an Yakate fan. I, I think he's got great potential as a young defender. But I think this is a really important moment for him uh, in his career because he's had these these one or two errors in these games. Uh, he needs to not allow that to affect his confidence because I think if you look outside of those individual errors, he's still playing um, at a very high level. And it is interesting now to see that Jose Font is is not really starting games for Braga anymore. So you've got Nakate and, and, and Serdar, the Turkish at the back, two young players playing next to each other. So, you know, maybe they've just taken a little bit of time to settle into that partnership, you know, lacking that little bit of leadership, but I still think there's a, there's a top player in there. No, I agree with that. And I actually wanted to talk about his um, defensive partner in this game, Serdar Saatchi, um, the young Turkish centre-back who every time he's had an opportunity this season seems to really stand out. Um, uh, he looks good in the ball, great defensively. I think he had seven interceptions in this game, which I think is a record for this season in the league. Um, but it's something we alluded to last week, Albert, wasn't it, when we were discussing Braga's defensive line and, and the sort of um, instability, the amount of different players who have come in and out of it. And we know that relationships are quite important at the, in the back line, you know, that those relationships you build with your partner in the centre-back, even the your relationship you build with your left-back, because... We had um, he would have had Sicaria um, to the side of him uh, near Cate last year for most of the season, and then Marin's come in, and now Borja seems to be back in the team again. So you know, the, the, when the, when the, when the, the the personnel has changed so frequently, you know, you, the, the your relationships change and there's understanding. So that could also be why he's perhaps getting. Well, we're not saying he's having a hard time. You know, he's just had a couple of errors, and I think you're right to sort of pin it down to just a few errors rather than a whole bad game. Um, but yeah, I, I think Serdar Saatchi, I'm really excited by. I think, like you said about Jose Font, I, I like Saatchi. I would play them both. It's a bit of a risk and perhaps not, not one you want to make in the Champions League. But in the league, I, if you can give those two opportunity, they've got the, the best potential and, and the, the highest ceiling. So I, I, I would stick with them too. And, and, and Victor Gomez had a, a decent game at right back. He got an assist and although he, he misplaced a few passes, as you said, I think that you know, his game is he looks best when he's going forward and, and you sort of want your fullback to be making those, trying to put some dangerous balls and be a bit of creative. And he, he was offering that in this game. So yeah, um, a, a good performance for him as well. 
Yeah, definitely, and, and a very good win for Braga. It's easy to uh, to forget they've they've lost two games already this season, so um, dropping more points in this game would have been a disaster. And I just want to end on Bovista because obviously it wasn't the result that they wanted. And I think you know before this game, I said something along the lines of you know how they do in this game might define what kind of team they are this season. You know whether they're a flash in the pan or whether they're a real deal. Well, now this result has happened and they've lost. I think the next big thing is 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 how they respond to this, how they bounce back, and I think um, whether or not they're able to put this this disappointing result behind them in their next game is going to be really important to defining how the rest of their season goes. Um, well, let's move on, Bonnie, and talk about some games from the big three, and I want to start with uh, Benfica, who went away to Portimonense for what should have been on paper a very simple game for Benfica. But it almost wasn't as straightforward as they would have imagined. They raced into, predictably, a two-goal lead. But a second-half goal back for Portimonense and a penalty that almost saw them draw a level only for Portimonense to miss the penalty. And Benfica went on to score a late third goal to wrap up the win. Not quite perfect from Benfica, but very good goal from Alexander Barr. Good for Peter Moose to score again. And then David Neres with the third goal saw them take all three points. So at the end of the day, it was job done. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> it did get a little hairy, didn't it? And the well, you, I, you texted me in, in in the week about how this tie hasn't always been the easiest tie for Benfica. Where, you know, um, you you thought it was. Um, but do you think it was the the most one sided? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I just had this impression that Porto Enzo versus Benfica was like the one one of the most one sided mm. ties in in Portugal. I, I just had this impression that Benfica always beat Porto Enzo. But actually, if you look go and look back at recent results, like the last 15, 10, 15 results from these two teams, there's a few more draws and a few more upsets than than you might imagine for Porto Enzo. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, I'd, I'd forgive you for thinking that this was, it could have been. <laughs> I mean, you'd be forgiven for thinking it wasn't the Estadio de Luz, the amount of Benfica fans that were in the stadium. It was unbelievable. <laughs> well, look, I'll, I'll briefly talk about Portimonense's uh, moment where they could have come back. I think um, it was great for them to get a goal, uh, particularly Sylvester Jasper and um, Helio uh, Varela, uh, who um, put it, put it, Put the first goal away. I mean, you know, when I saw this lineup from Portimonense, it looked like a classic um, Paolo Sergio, um, you know, six three one or something like that. Um, no out and out striker on the pitch. Uh, or the, the, um, uh, but you know, they so they did well to get the goal, and then um, obviously the penalty was a a shame. Uh, Truben made the save, but I think it's also it's worth um, watching what Otamendi does in that. Uh, in afterwards because Truman doesn't manage to push it away very well still in a dangerous position and Otamendi's pace to get in there and, and sort of the anticipation for Truman to save and then to get that ball away to stop a, a rebound going in was a uh, pretty admirable and a, a, a worth oh it's, it's a nice reminder that Otamendi's a really good defender isn't it like you know though he might not have much work to do uh, here and there but look I think from Benfica's point of view as you alluded to Bar great friendship, Musa in particular. I think it's nice to see Musa getting the the, the start regularly. I know um, Article Brow came on once again, still didn't look quite at it. Uh, uh, you know it, that will take time for him to bed in. But with, with Peter Musa the way he's playing, you know it, it's going to be hard for him to get into that starting spot. He he will not let Roger Schmidt drop him, will he? Because you know we we talked about this like we just expected Article Brow to come in and, and, and be the starting striker, but. Peter Musa keeps scoring and I think you know Roger Schmidt 
can't take him out if he keeps scoring goals. So uh, I'm pleased for him. He, you know, he's, he's keeping his place in the side. Um, you know, Portman ends Barney. What a what a game <laughs> because they were really out of it, weren't they? For for the vast majority of the game, and and I, in a way, it was you didn't really know where this comeback came from. Although to their credit, their goal was a really really good goal. Um, unfortunately, the, the highlights on YouTube, I believe, have been uploaded by Benfica, and, and they cut it in such a way that it doesn't really show the best of the goals. So if you can find the the highlights of from a kind of independent source, then do watch those because it's great football from Sylvester Jasper. He picks the ball up sort of just outside his own box, really. And, and he shows great strength and great dribbling to, to battle past multiple Benfica players. Uh, goes on a great run before sliding through fantastic ball for Helio Varela. And, and, and the guy's still got a lot of work to do. He races into the box and it's a, it's a great finish. So they score this great goal out of nowhere and suddenly they get the penalty. You're thinking... Where has this come from? Now, the penalty, Barney. I was pleased afterwards because there seems to have been this narrative building. I think maybe, to be honest, amongst Benfica fans, that Trubin is, you know, needs some time to settle in, or maybe he's a bit nervous, and so they were like, "Oh, I'm so pleased that he saved the penalty. It'd be good for his confidence." Barney, that was the worst penalty that you will see this season. It was such a shocking penalty. He literally just sort of passes the ball sort of nonchalantly in, towards the bottom right corner. And it's such a, I'm sorry, but it's such an easy save. I hate to be that guy. No power in a penalty. And I'm sitting, everyone's sitting there thinking, oh, you know, Ben Frieda, they've saved a penalty, they're going to go on to win the game. I'm sitting there thinking, he has to score that. Like, he has to score that. Porto Menendez are really struggling. You know, they've not got many points. What a result this would be if they could get a point against Benfica. And it was, yeah, real though, I think it was. Poor guy. He won the penalty, to be fair to him, but it was a really terrible pen. So it was the most Port Men's thing ever, you know, do the hard work to get yourself back into the game, win a penalty, and then just miss it with an absolutely terrible shot. But, um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure their fans enjoyed their brief moment of uh, of excitement. And then just so, I just wanted to talk about Varela again, Albert, before we move back to Benfica, just because it's worth... I think he's a he's got two goals for the season now from six games. Um, twenty one years old. He came up from uh, he's been around in Portugal, but it's come from a Portman's under twenty three team. Um, just a I don't know something about Portman and strikers, and I think I fall in love perhaps a little too easy. Um, <laughs> it was Williams and a Ponza last season. Better, there's you know, he, I I think he's worth getting a little bit excited about. He does look like he's got a bit about him, and, and with his age as well, perhaps a player to keep an eye on. Um, I wanted to talk specifically about um, Benfica's midfield, right? Because um, Florentino came back into the to the eleven and in, 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 for this game, um, somebody who's been out for most of the season, um, despite having such a great season last year. Uh, I think we've talked about it a few times. He, he he had a good game, a really good game, and 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 it was nice that Schmidt made that rotation. Uh, Nevs, uh, John came on, um, and I imagine those will be the two players to rotate for as the season progresses because. Once again, Koshi had an amazing game. Um, some really great passing uh, from from deep again. But it was nice to see Florentino get his opportunity and and, and play play well. I think it will be, as I've said it before, it'd be a question of Schmidt getting getting those sort of decisions right for the games in front of him, um, uh, and uh, and in the Champions League specifically. So, but Florentino came in and just didn't look out of place at all, did he? he just he just was so tidy. And then if I, if I was to look slightly fo- more forward in, in the midfield, João Mario, right? He's one I'm starting to have questions about in terms of his contribution to the team. And I, and I think with Ausnes, I understand Roger Smith's um, 
persistence with him in the team because of what he offers is the understanding of the game. He's just so, so good. You can, you can, it's clear to see. Jao Murray in that more advanced position, which he, Roger Smith has gone with quite a lot. It just, I don't, I don't think he's got it. He doesn't win any jewels. He doesn't take many people on. I understand he, he has his other attributes in terms of what he does in the press and then defensively, et cetera, et cetera. But when you see David Neres in this game, you know, who's, who's quite often on the bench when Jao Murray is on the pitch, and the way David Neres was just, oh, he was just so good in this game. He was like, it's, it's easy to forget how good he is because he plays, it feels like he plays so infrequently. It, it just feels like, I think with Di Maria as well to come back in that team, I would just love to see Di Maria, Neves and Rafa all behind Musa. Like that would be so like, and surely against Portland Lens, you could afford to be a bit more gun-ho, you know what I mean? But um uh, yeah, I I I, don't, I wonder what you think because I we've, we've talked we've praised Jao Mario so much over the past few seasons and he is a really good player. But um, when I just saw the I saw that someone put a statistics game, forgive me, I can't remember the name, but when it showed like his in terms of he's got no assists, no goals, he's got no uh, he hasn't got any key passes, he hasn't got any like take ons or jewels one or anything like that. Like, what is he offering? Like, could you be a bit more daring? Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because he's a, he's a, an attacking midfielder, but he's not a playmaker, um, and he's not particularly quick, and he's not a, a player who 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 beats a man with pace and, and skill. But he did score a lot of goals last season, and I think he did that by doing one thing very simple, which was just arriving in the box at the right time, right? Just being in the right place at the right time, and that's that's not meant to be like damning with faint praise. Not a lot of footballers can do that. You know, not a lot of players have that natural instinct of being in the right place at the right time and arriving in the box to score at the right time. He also scored a lot of penalties. But again, that's that's another useful skill. So I think it's just a case of not necessarily that role being being needed this season because they've got they've got those more dynamic players now, like Rafa's in good form, Angel Di Maria's playing a lot. Um and David Nerez, as you say, was fantastic in this game. So I just think it's a case of Benfica last season needed him because I think they lacked um, the same amount of of attacking quality that they have now. Um, this season, I just wonder whether perhaps it's a case of they don't really need him in the same way that they needed him last season. And he is kind of reduced a little bit to just being that player on the pitch, pressing from the front and playing quite a simple passing game because he's not, you know, his his attributes don't really lend themselves to the types of things that Angel Di Maria and, and Rafa and, and David Lereza are really doing. So I think it's not... You know, with the benefit of hindsight, it's probably not a big surprise that he's not having the same impact as he did last season. But I think, you know, he's just the type of player that he plays a very specific role. Um, and when that role is not really there for him, there's not much else that that he can really offer. Um, I did, yeah. But like you, Bonnie, I, I, I did, I did want to talk about David Nerez and how how fantastic he was. And you know, they didn't miss Angel Di Maria at all, did they? With with him on the pitch, and I think arguably he even looked better than than what Di Maria has looked this season with his just ruthless pace, like amazing energy, commitment, just desperate to get in the box and score. You know, his goal was was fantastic. You know, it was funny, it was a very similar goal to that of the Porto and Ends player. Um, but you know, he did it with just a little bit more um a little bit more dynamism, I think. It was a wonderful, wonderful performance, deserved man of the match performance, easily the best player in the pitch. And I think he's genuinely shown 
that when everything clicks and he's on form, he could be Benfica's best player. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't. It's just not quite happening all the time, is it? Maybe for natural ability, you can definitely have that conversation. But of course, a lot of things make a good player, such as consistency, work rate, all those kind of things, which he has lacked. But in terms of raw ability as a footballer, you can definitely have that conversation. Um, all right, well, let's move on and talk about Sporting, uh, who were sitting behind Bovister before the uh, before the start of this game week and took advantage of their loss to move up to top of the table, joint points with Porto, but with a better goal difference. They beat Rio Ave 2 0 at home with a very comfortable performance, it has to be said. No Jokerez in the starting 11 this time, but Paulinho, Marcus Edwards, and Pedro Gonzalez were trusted to start the line, and both Paulinho and Edwards scored to give Sporting that 2 0 win. Very, very good performance. I thought um, Paulinho was excellent. Marcus Edwards is excellent. Good performances all over the pitch. And similar to what I was saying last week, Barney, about that 3 0 win over Morrens, they're just playing very, very good football. They look very confident. They look very competent. And I tweeted out after the game for me, Sporting, the most impressive side in the league so far this season. I'm glad you said that because I was. I don't know if ever people are as excited as, as I was thinking. Like they look really, like I'm talking about a title charge. Like do you know what I mean. Like they 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 could be well in the mix. Um, I completely agree. And with all my thoughts about preseason and and sort of my doubts, I just think things look great. And that's with like friends and neighbors have come in at some point where everybody's like, why isn't he getting his chance yet? But that's because this guy's doing really good. Like he's 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 looking decent and Coates is fine and Marita's just fantastic. Brilliant. Like uh, I always feel like he perhaps gets underrated. He had a Garte alongside him last year. Humans come in and looked an immense, like a really, really smart bit of business. You know, it's worth remembering Agarte got sold for 60. He bought for 17, was it? And he just, and he's only, what, 23, 24? Looks like a great player. But Marita's just there. You know, aside from Santa Clara a few seasons ago, looking absolutely phenomenal as well. Um, that So that midfield's just looking stronger and stronger as the weeks go by, them two playing alongside each other. Um, Edwards had for the best game of the season as well, which was, was needed to come. Really, I found it quite interesting. I don't know if you saw this. Um, Amarin in his post-match uh, press conference with him, when sort of asked about Edwards was, um, he said, "Look, the, his potential is the England team, you know." And he said, and he's quite careful with his words. He said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, "And he's got that potential in him. He just needs to make sure he does it. We're doing everything we can for him. He just needs to make sure he gets there." And and sort of, you know. The, putting the pressure back on Edwards, which he seems to continue to do for, for a while. And, and I still feel like Edwards opportunities in the team seem to come and go. Uh, and I, I really want him just to continue and try and build in his form. And so I don't know if that could help him, but look, it was a great performance from this game and, and his finish, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, I love it because it, it shows us someone who is confident, you know, to, to have that audacity to, from that tightness of angle where you should be putting it in, uh, across the face of goal for someone to tap in, but he, he slots at home himself. It was a really good finish and I'm really hoping, I've said it several times this season, I said at the beginning of the season, I'm hoping this can be Edwards' season, but this was a performance where you're thinking, here, yeah, here we go, now he's maybe getting started. 100% and and the goal for, for anyone who's not seen it is absolutely outrageous because you know everyone's praising the finish and it is a, a wonderful finish. He basically 
dribbles into the box and gets down to the byline to the point where he's almost in line with the goal and you think his only option is to cut it back and he somehow manages to pass the ball. I think it's either through the legs of the defender or the goalkeeper and it goes into the back of net. It's a wonderful finish. But the thing about that goal, Barney, is that it's not just the finish. He creates that goal for himself with his hard work. I think he presses the defence and, and it's the it's the winning the ball back and the dribbling into the box and you know, that is that is what Marcus can be at his best, you know, not just natural ability, but also hard work and, and determination, which we know he has. And I think it's it's great to see Edwards playing well. Um, you know, obviously everyone knows we're English guys doing this podcast. We love English players in the league and we wanted to do well. But I think it's good for everyone if he does well because he's such a naturally talented player. And I agree with you that I think he probably plays his best football when he plays consistently and, and that can be difficult because the top teams have to have competition for places and they have to have rotation. I think, you know, the times when Marcus played his best football at Pretoria was when he was playing week in, week out, you know, and, and he knew he had the trust of the manager and he and he knew he had the kind of freedom to to express himself. He obviously came in for for Vitor Jokerez and I and I think there's a real argument to be made for the fact that if Sporting are going to play with Jokerez and Paulinho out front, he could be the ideal person to play um, alongside those because those two. Because for me, more than Pedro Gonçalves, more than Trincao, I think he's a player that can play anywhere behind the striker, whether that's right, left or centre. I think he's very, very comfortable playing a free role where he doesn't have a fixed position and he's perhaps switching with Paulinho and, and Jokerez. I think he has the better ability of those three players to get the ball into the box. I would even argue he's probably a, a better natural finisher. And although we've seen Pedro Gonçalves play some great football, you know, it's also worth mentioning that Pedro Gonçalves himself is, is in a really bad patch of form where he doesn't look like himself. He's not he's not very confident. His finishing is not quite up to it. So, you know, Trincao equally has never really shown in a sporting shirt um, the level that we hoped of. So I think there's a real argument to be made that Marcus Edwards is the best candidate to play along alongside those two. And I think, you know, we know that if you if you give him that trust and you show that faith in him, which Amarim has, to be fair, at times, then 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 he can deliver. And for me, you know, obviously not just his best game for sporting this season, probably his best game for sporting last season as well. And one of his best games in, in a sporting shirt. Obviously, I was disappointed to see him taken off, but then seeing him on the bench with some ice on his knee, knowing he hasn't really played 90 minutes this season, maybe that makes sense. Um, it does bring me on to something I did want to talk about, O'Brien, because obviously a lot of a lot of positives for sporting, as you say. Edwards was fantastic. Paulinho, fantastic. Marita, the midfield, excellent. The defence looks really solid. Everyone's connecting really well. You know, it's given me vibes of that season when, when Sporting won the league and everyone was just clicking. I won't go too far just yet. But only negatives for me by only one that I mentioned, Pedro Gonçalves. But two, some of the substitutions that um, Ruben Amarim made in this game, I just thought it a bit of a shame. Obviously, like I said, takes off Edwards. I understand maybe he's injured and not fully match fit yet. I can accept it. Nuno Santos comes off as well. And again, I know he's playing a lot of minutes and, and needs to be rested. So I get it. He takes off Hulmond as well. Again, maybe he just needs to be rested. But I just feel like those substitutions just suck the energy out of the game. You know, they were playing so well. They were 2-0 up, dominating the game. And the last 30 minutes when he started making those subs, I just thought was a bit of a damp squib. And, you know, obviously I understand Amarim is still a young manager and perhaps he needs to learn more how to to give players minutes at the right time when he's trying to rotate and stuff. But I think, you know, that was the only thing that I was left thinking was that 
he kind of just sucked the energy out of the game with, with those substitutions when the team was there, like ready to kick on and 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 really dominate the game even further. Yeah, it feels like one of the big themes this year, not just for this league, but is it, it and it's become more of a, a growing prevalence in, in football generally is, is squad management, right? Is, and and having options and how you rotate your players for such a packed season. Um, and I'm just trying to cast my mind back, and I can't remember because this is exactly right. But I, I, I don't know if we were having criticisms of Emirates' lack of rotation when. Um, at some points in the previous seasons in terms of how rigid he was with his starting eleven, and and how it might have been the season they won the league, to be honest, when they, and they managed to get it over the line. But I think it was when they had that little dip towards the end and we were sort of highlighting the amount of minutes that some of those players had played for him. Um, the fact that they were tuning up about against Rio Ave, who weren't really showing much signs of, of, of scoring themselves, of scoring themselves, sorry. Um, Aaron's probably taking his opportunity. So that, that perhaps we could see that could be a, um, a sign of growth in that sense because... As, as much as we try and paint a, an even picture of this league and, and and promote the smaller teams, that you do have quite a lot of matches where you're home and dry, and you can afford to, if you're a bigger team, to sort of just just see it out and, and let let it peter out. So perhaps that's why he's making those substitutions for players who in the Champions League will be absolutely key in terms of Santos and Edwards, as as you, as you mentioned. So uh, maybe we've seen a bit of that from him. Um, Albert, forgive me because I feel really bad, particularly because it's the exact same squad as Rio have had last season. But I've got very little to offer on Rio have once again, and, I, and I've had a year and a half of these players now. And um, I just had to check Adelaide's Santos's age because I felt like oh, he's being forced to play because they couldn't sign a replacement centre back. He's only thirty-four. I thought he was a bit older. Um, but I just I don't know. They seem. They're one of these teams that I just I sort of admire, but I also don't sort of see any real highlights. You know, I've mentioned Costina before, um, Ronaldo, the, the winger as well, has, has had his moments. But I think Ukra got his two hundredth game for Rio, and he's still there. Mm-hmm. But I just I I don't know. They they they're doing well, obviously, because they like Bovis, so they've had their transfer ban um, and haven't been able to sign any players. But yeah, I just I. I didn't get much from from this game. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. They they didn't really show much to me. No, I think I think the transfer ban has has really stifled them. I think they looked okay last season. They had some decent players, especially the likes of Guga, the likes of Cristina. But even those players seem to have lost a little bit of their mojo. And I wonder if whether that's because they had moves blocked. You know, they were perhaps hoping for moves away, and that wasn't able to happen because of the transfer ban. I did see someone describe Luis Ferreira as. The, one of the best managers outside of the, the the top four, and I just remember thinking, I mean, I like the guy, but I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think he's ever shown um, so much that I would really describe him as one of the best managers in the league. But yeah, I just think that the, the transfer ban has killed them, hasn't it? Because you know they, they haven't been able to refresh the squad, they haven't been able to to develop the team, and I think you know, luckily they're probably not going to get sucked into a relegation battle, although it's not impossible. Um, so I think if they can just sort of ride out this transfer ban and, and stay in the Premier League, then maybe they'll be able to quick on, kick on. But yeah, by by the looks of things, this is going to be a bit of a bit of a letdown this season, really. I think with Lewis Ferrer, but the only thing I would add is that like um, we have been praising Petit an awful lot for what he's done with his squad and, and the lack of transfer activity. I think the difference with Rio Ave is that they had a a couple of key loan loanees last year who who have left, and so it, well, I guess both of us have had their departure as well. But what I'm trying to say is that I feel like that's 
drastically lowered their um, standard, in my opinion. If I look at that left hand side, um, they had a couple of people who were playing filling a left one back last year who are no longer there. So I think that there's a drop off in that position. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the my overall takeaway from this performance out was, and, and like we said at the start of this game, you know, Sporting doing the business, looking really solid. Um, you know, a good win, and and I'm I I'm hopefully like you, I'm getting. They're well. I'm getting excited for them this season. I think they could be <laughs> right up right there, right at the end, because you know it. it it's with, it's, it feels like with little fanfare, right? It doesn't feel like amazing things are happening, but it, it's very efficient and very effective, and they're getting good, solid results and clean sheets, and yeah, everything's clicking. Definitely a team to keep an eye on this season. Well, let's move on to the, the last of the big three, Barney. Talk about Porto, and surprise, surprise, it was another two-one win for Porto, where they needed a stoppage time goal to get the winner. How many times have we said that so far this season? But um, I'm not sure whether this game was the same as, as all those other games this season that that finished in the same way. It certainly didn't start that way. I think Sergio Conceição went back to the back four um, and Porto looked very good in the first half. I thought they got a very good early goal. But Gil Vicente, they did get themselves back into the game. They got an equaliser 10 minutes before halftime. And I thought they had a very good second half. They didn't have much of the ball, but they counterattacked a lot. They could have seen themselves grab a winner themselves. But of course, Porto did secure all three points. Um, and it was a 91st minute header from Steven Eustachio that got them the win. In some aspects, I think Porto have improved. But I think in others, they showed the same frailties they've showed all season. And particularly for me, Barney, that is in defence. Yeah, well, of course, I think Conscious Hours. Perhaps he'd thought he'd thought he had worked it out last week, where he'd and gone to that three-five-two with the three centre backs to try and counteract the. Well, he said himself, didn't he? That they kept they conceded every game, but now his his hands sort of been forced once again by the, the loss of Makano to injury and his sort of his options. Now he he sort of had to revert to that four at the back, uh, once again. I mean. I think Carmo, he made the mistake for the Gilvesen that equalised it was sort of a forward pass gone wrong. Uh, but apart from that, I thought Carmo looked good on the ball. He had uh, the most touches this game, you know, um, played some decent forward passes. Um, Fabio Cardoso is, seems to be a sort of a figure of some people love to think he's all right. Some people think he's like, why, how on earth is he wearing a Porto shirt? Um, but you know, what? I wonder if this would be a back four that we see quite a lot in the league going forward. You know, I think Pepe is going to be certainly rested for the the Champions League games and sort of to try and make sure he's fit for those big games. And I imagine Fabio Cardoso will come in to play alongside Carmen in the league, perhaps, which he's done quite often. Um, uh, Jean Marriott right back, obviously, and um, Wendell as well. Who, um, uh, yeah, I think I think that will be a back four that we'll see from Porto quite a lot in the league. Um, but I wanted to talk about the midfield as well for for Porto and and I mentioned a player who didn't actually start and, and Nico Gonzalez, the the Spanish player uh, who they signed from Barcelona in the summer. Um, just because I was really taken with him when he first arrived, and this was before Alan Varela arrived, obviously, so he perhaps had a, a easier way into the starting eleven. But since Alan Varela arrived, he's he's looked excellent um, playing alongside Estacio in this game, sort of in the, those, that double pivot role. Um, I just think it's with Nico Gonzalez. He hasn't got the pace. Obviously, he, he was very creative. Lots of good forward passes. Alan Varela can do that to some extent from the back. Estacio doesn't offer that creativity that Nico Gonzalez does. But I think what Estacio does that have that 
perhaps conscious of how values more than than creativity and forward passes his his pace and his energy and the way he can cover uh, recover defensively, um, and I think that's a shame because I think that's a thing we keep talking about with Porto is the the lack of creativity. I, you mentioned the first goal from uh, Galeno, which was incredible. It was a great run from him. And as you start, mentioned at the start of this podcast, the fact that Gillian can be this incredible player in the Champions League and then just sort of, he had this moment at the beginning of this game where he created that goal, nice flick on from Tremi for Ivan Jamie to get his uh, first goal. But what else did he do after that? We don't see enough of that magic from him. And and then this midfield of Estacchio and Varela just seems to be a, be solid. But I've, I want a bit more from this Porter team is what I'm trying to say. So look, I... I've I've talked to made quite a lot of points there, but I think the thing I'm trying to say is that I think Conchastel is still working things out. He's got, and we're six games into the season with the transfer windows closed. But as I alluded to, the injuries that they've got, and once again, Conchastel is having to juggle things, and they're not they're not there, are they? They're they're nowhere near the finished project, and yeah, I, I'm not exactly giving answers myself. I'm not sure what the finished product would, be, but I think they're they're still working things out, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, you know we've we've talked about Sergio Conceição before, and and you can use a lot of words to to describe it. Some might say loyalty, some might say stubbornness, but you know he does he does take his time making wholesale changes to his teams. And I think um, for me, you know we described we were talking not that long ago about how Porto had their difficulties, but their midfield could be something really positive for them, especially if they start playing Alan Varela and Nico Gonzalez together. And I have to say. I know we have Canadian listeners and, you know, people know that we love Eustachio, but I do personally think that Nico Gonzalez is an upgrade on, on Steven Eustachio. And I think if they played Varela and Gomez together, that midfield would look better. You know, Eustachio done well to get the goal in this game. Again, I hate to take a goal away from someone, but he jumps up and the ball bounces off the back of his head. And I'm not sure you could really call it a, um, <laughs> a guided header into the far corner, but he's, he's definitely been a great servant to Porto, Eustachio. Um, but he's he's one of a number of 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 domestic signings when Porto have looked to the, the Portuguese market for players who you just have that doubt about whether he quite has the top quality to be a Porto player. And I think when you look at Alan Varela and when you look at Nico Gonzalez, you don't have those doubts. You know, these are players that you know can play at a top, top level. So for me, I think if if Porto want that midfield running as smoothly as it can be, I, I would be looking to start Varela and, and Gomez. But you know, we know what Contestel's like. He does take a while to 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 change the team in, in a big way. And we can include Andre Franco in that as well. It's been quite a surprise personally to see him brought into the team, even in the Champions League as well. Um, but he seems to be trusted again. Um, Ivan Jamie has looked excellent. He was his first league start this game. Um, he, he's sort of come in running, hasn't he? He's, he's, he's just a, like a really up for it. So he's been good. Um, Albert, I... I I want to talk about Taremi and I think um I think what I'm gonna say and I haven't completely run it through my mind so it might sound a bit I think they should have sold him <laughs> and I know I know I said I I I was saying all pre-season that he was the player to keep I, I really held him in such high regard but something's something's happened and he's not there again he's not the player he was last year or the season before I'm not sure if it's because that move to Pensi into Man or whatever just fell through he just he isn't doing it in the league. And I, I know that Evan Nielsen has his injury now. Daniel Manasso um, 
Namasu is, is is injured as well, I think, currently. But Fran Navarro is there, who came on in this game. Look, uh, the statistic in this game, which sort of made me, maybe perhaps I've gone too far, but the statistic from this game, which made me really think that it, it, it's a lost cause now, is um, there were 19 different players in this game who had shots, right, which is a record for this league this season. 19 different players on the field had shots in this game. Tremi was not one of those players. Right? Uh, which and maybe I'm drawing too much from that, but I just feel like he seems to have gone missing this season in the league. He hasn't quite been there. Um, I, I, whether that's also because of the maybe he's being asked to do more creativity with a lot of Latavio drop a little more, find you know be being one of those players who gets the ball that in those areas of the pitch. I, I don't know, but I think there's a real question around him this season. And if this is his last season and he leaves on the free and it would just be such a shame because at the moment I can't see him getting anywhere near the numbers he's got previously is what, is what I'm trying to say. There's something not quite right there. And when you've got a player like Fran Navarro on the bench, you know, should he be the person, you know, they've put, they put the money into him. Maybe he should be the guy now and, and just let this Taremi thing peter out. But it seems really harsh to say maybe, and it's maybe it's too early to be making these sort of um, rash, rash claims or whatever. But I think, there's something not right there, and and he was such a key player, but he's certainly not a key player at the moment. Yeah, no, nothing you said there is is wrong when you talk about Taremi's form. Everyone knows he's he's off it. I think maybe worth remembering that there's not actually been that many games since the transfer window closed because we had the international break, and I think his head probably wasn't in the right place when he he was gearing up for a move to AC Milan during the transfer window. And then it didn't happen. Right up until deadline day, he was he was you know talking about it. So, you know, his head probably wasn't right in the right place during the transfer window. Transfer window ends. He then goes away with Iran for two weeks, comes back. So it's only been a few league games, maybe two, um, since the end of the transfer window that Taremi's been involved in, and he did score in one. So I think I I wouldn't quite say they should have sold him. They they could have sold him. They made a decision not to. They've decided to keep him. And I think it's just about whether he can get that mindset back. And I don't think it's quite been long enough to kind of write him off completely. Of course, if he doesn't start scoring soon, Cossetau is going to have to start making some decisions about whether he starts players like like Fran Navarro. But I think there still is a real possibility that Taremi kind of gets his head back on. There's another international break coming up again soon. He goes away with Iran again, maybe sort of refreshes a little bit and comes back and, and will be better. But, you know, how can you ever truly write off um, the league's best striker and, and, and one of the best strikers we've had in, in the last few years. So I, I wouldn't quite write him off yet. Um, but absolutely, it's such a shame that they're in this situation where someone who was such a, a prize asset uh, for them last season has is, 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 is gone missing in, in the way that he has. And I hope that he can get the form back soon. Um, before we move on, Barney, we talk about Gilles Vicente. You know, one of the things that I mentioned about them was that I thought they had um, a good second half. I think they had a decent game in general, actually, you know, they they obviously Porto came out really strong in this game, um, but I thought Gilles Vicente did really well to to get back in the game. You know, they scored that equalising goal. I think it was thirty fifth minute or so, um, and I think they looked really good for the goal. They deserved it. They 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 caused Porto problems, and the second half was fascinating, Barney, genuinely because you know Porto had most of the ball, but 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 Gilles Vicente had all the chances in the second half. You know, they played a really good counter attacking game. And they've got some really good attacking players on their books now. They, the likes of their goal scorer Depu, who had a good game. They've got Felix Correa on the wing, a player who did well at Maritimo last season. He's on loan. 
Looks like a very talented player. And they've got a player who I have to say I haven't paid much attention to until recently in Maxime Dominguez, who's a, a very exciting attacking midfielder and, and who's looked very positive this season. So, you know, Gilles, they haven't had the most amazing results this season. They did score five goals against Estoril last week, which was quite eye-catching. I think they scored five goals in another game this season as well. So they've been a little bit up and down. But I think, you know, they, they have shown some some promising signs. They've got former Chavez manager Vito Campelos, if people are, are not aware. So there's an interesting team building there. And they had an interesting game. And, and perhaps on another day, you know, they could have done what Aruka did and, and, and got a result against Porto. Well, the, the, um, their first game of the season, they won 5-0 against Porto. So they've, they've scored five goals in the game twice this season. Um, they also... Um, gave Benfica a good game because uh, they lost uh, two three I think um, uh, in that game. So that they've done well against the big teams and they've shown that they can score as well. I think the perhaps the only anomaly in their season is the one 0 loss to Vizela, which is a bit of a, um, a a strange game. But look, I think you're absolutely right on the terms of that. I think they've got a really good squad out there, and, and I wanted to talk about all those players you mentioned there. I think uh, Depu. Um, seems like a really interesting striker. He's come from Angola, so he's been playing all his football in Angola until um, he came last January, but he only got 76 minutes last season. So he, the two games he started for Gilles Vicente this season, he scored. So this could be a, a good season for him. He's just got, I don't know, I like his movement. I thought he had a good hold-up play and uh, and uh, could be a really handy striker in this league. I mean, Felix Correa is a great bit of business. I think we really rated him at Marisa, didn't we? And I think in a team uh, that with well, with better quality, certainly he, he could really excel. And then, and you're quite right in terms of what he was offering in the counter attack, his pace, is the way he's, he's good on the ball, he can get past the man. Maxine Dominguez as well is a player I'm absolutely falling in love with. And because it's it doesn't make any sense, he's a 27-year-old Swiss-Spanish player who's played all his football in Switzerland and he's, he moved to Poland and came here. He's like, like, where did they find him? Why did they find him? He looks un- brilliant. I just think he's so classy on the ball, um, playing in sort of number ten role as well. I know he's been filling out on the wings before, but he just—he's got something about him, hasn't he? And I just don't understand where they, where they found him. I, I really like him. Bonnie, who was the um, who was the attacking midfielder that Gilvercent got from Latvia, who then turned out to be such a great player? Oh, what was his name? Um, Pedrinho. Pedrinho, there is. He he's got an air of the Pedrinho, hasn't he? About him, you know. Gilvercent have done this before. They find these gems and and. You know they turn into good players. Yeah, I think I think that's that he could be one of the signs of the scene. To be honest, I think he's he's great. And finally, Martin Neto uh, on loan from Benfica B. Um, didn't get on the ball an awful lot, but his passing was phenomenal. Like really, like you said, they they when he they moved the ball forward quickly, and he got up to he got to the sixty minute mark before he was taken off without mis, misplacing a pass. He he had, he had a really good game, and and once again a, a smart bit of business. So I think they've got. And, and, you know, these are players who haven't played every single game. You know, there's players coming in that team. They've got a really good squad. And you mentioned Campelos, a good manager. Um, I think there's something there for them this season. And then to give Porto and they've gave Benfica a good game, you know, they're, um, I, I'm, I'm quite excited. For, it's nice to be excited about Gilles Santente again. I think they've been, uh, yeah, there's, there's something there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, it's been a bumper episode already, but we are going to try and do a couple more games quickly just because some interesting stuff happened this week the first game I want to talk about Barney of course Shavs versus uh, Estrella de Amador now this was a fascinating game to keep an eye on because it was Shavs first game under new manager Moreno the former Vittorio de Gamorais manager um, they lost their first five games of the season and let manager Jose Gomez go 
last week, but moved quickly to replace him with Moreno. I have to say, Bonnie, I did have a little feeling. You know how I get these spidey senses for a uh, new manager bounce? Um, well, it didn't quite happen uh, the way I imagined it. Estrella scored two goals uh, and looked on track to condemn Chavez to yet another loss. But two late goals saw Chavez draw level and then they very, very nearly got an extremely late winner, which really would have been fairy tale result for Moreno in his first game in charge. But they had to settle for their first point of the season. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of the, the frailties that we've seen with Chavez this season were still there in this game. But just how much of a psychological boost could could this result be, particularly considering the manner of, of, of a late comeback. That's going to do wonders for wonders for the dressing room, surely. Yeah, this is this is big for them because um, you know to to lose to a promoted team um, and as, as particularly Australia that would have been a real real hammer blow for them and they could have uh, you know we've talked about how teams last season seems to be unable to get out of a rut that could have been the you know that could have kept them down but it was great for them to come back I think Sanka got an assist in this game is someone I talked about last week who's going to be really key for them I think he's a, a really really good winger. Hector Hernandez as well is is a, a striker who's going to get goals and then and uh, I think that's they'll certainly need him going forward. I mean, I did want to talk about Australia as well because I thought when they went two 0 up, they were looking great. It was great to see Leo Jabba suddenly finally announce himself to the league. Someone I've been excited to see all season. He, he's been pretty quiet. Um, Brazilian winger. Um, I think he's played in Greece before in Russia, so I, uh, he's come with a bit of pedigree and yeah, hadn't really shown anything until this game with his goal and assist. You know, really good. A uh, good performance from him, um, Ronald as well, getting a, a, a an assist in this game. Another player I'm always going to bang out with uh, when it comes to Australia. But perhaps um, the player I haven't talked about at all is um, the midfielder uh, Leo Cudiero, um, a Brazilian who they signed from uh, Mafra. 27 years old, had previously been at Gil Vicente and uh, Villa France, so he's been in Portugal a little while. But he had a, a really nice game in midfield, and it's just nice to see a sort of Australia player sort of stand out, um, other than those attackers who I've previously mentioned. So um, it's a point for Australia, but uh, and there'll be perhaps maybe see it as three, uh, two points lost. But for for Chefs to, to come back in, it was uh, is, is big for them, and hopefully they can, this can be the the upward turn in their their form. Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, they drastically need more confidence and hopefully that's the type of result um, that will give them exactly that. And, and finally, Barney, let's let's talk about um, Estoril versus Vezela. Um, as it was a game which led to another managerial casualty, Estoril twice went ahead in a must-win game following their five-goal humiliation against Gil Vicente last week, but twice Vezela were able to equalise and the game ended 2-2 thanks to a goal in the 101st minute. Ultimately, finally, the Estoril board decided that this was the last straw for former Vizela manager, Alvaro Pacheco, who only managed four points in his time as Estoril manager. Now, he's a manager that we love. He's a manager that we, we've loved seeing in this league and perhaps might have expected to be given a little bit more time considering the fact that Estoril signed quite a lot of new players in the transfer market, but he, there you go, six games and and uh, four points from six games, and and that was it. He's he's on his way. Yeah, it's uh, it hasn't gone well at all, has it? Um, they're a strange one. I feel like there is a a lot of talent in that team. 
um, and and it just hasn't been unearthed. I think perhaps they've been unlucky in terms of some of the goals they conceded and the, the, some of the goals they hadn't scored. But still, the, this was only going one way for Pacheco and, and um, despite the point, you know, it still wasn't good enough. So I, I completely understand why they've made that managerial um, change. Um, it was nice to see Rafi Gaitan get a goal. Um, Jordan Holsgrove with the assist. Um, Jao Marquez with an assist as well. These are all players that we've, you know, like I've alluded to, that, that there's quality there, but they haven't enough. They've looked very poor defensively under Pacheco. There's been real issues at the back. I think even for this game, he sort of reverted to a sort of free at the back or free centre-backs, you know, to try and counter out the, the amount of goals they've been seeing, but still they weren't able to hold, uh, keep it ahead. And yeah, it's um, it was the right decision for me. I, I think it was time. He just hadn't, you know, wasn't going to change things. Yeah, and I do think on the one hand, you might have expected them to give him a bit more time because part of me thinks you don't bring in a manager like Alvaro Pacheco without expecting a certain style of football, you know, and, 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 and you know, he, he, he put out a statement after he was sacked, gracious as ever, well, you know, the guy's an absolute gent, you know, he thanked the fans, he thanked the board, he thanked the players for their dedication. One thing he said was, you know, together we created one of the best attacks in the league. And that's because they've scored 12 goals this season. That's the joint third best in the Premier League of the season. The problem being, Barney, that they've conceded 15 and that is the joint worst in the league with Portman in. So, you know, part of me is thinking there's something there that they can build and if they give them more time, they can create something really special. But, you know, perhaps, you know, with the investment that Estrid have made, they're looking at it thinking they can't afford to go down and they decided to take swift action. Now, they've moved to bring in a name that long-term listeners of this podcast will be very familiar with. That is Vasco Siabra. Um, he will definitely bring in a much more organised, a little bit more reserved, although not negative, but a much more organised style of football, um, which I'm sure is what the, uh, the, the board will want. Um, so, you know, a, a manager that I like a lot. I've, I've followed him since his time at Morins, where he was very successful. Since then, unfortunately, he's had quite a few unsuccessful spells as a manager. So, you know, hopefully he'll get more time and, and can build something good with what we know is quite a good Estrella squad. Yeah, I think um, from Vizella's point of view, great for a send to get another goal. Uh, the French striker who's um, got quite a few for the season now. Uh, they've obviously found a, a, a good striker in, in him, which they've Frizzella have struggled for in previous seasons. Um, and um, Dylan St. Louis came and got the the, the final equaliser. Uh, when I saw the name, for some reason in my head, I thought, because I didn't I didn't know exactly who it was, I, I thought it was some young French winger on loan from a, a, a League Two side or something like that. But uh, no, it's a, it's a, he's been come from, arrived from a, it's come from Turkey. Uh, he's 28 years old. Uh Congolese uh, winger so he's actually when I've looked at his history he's got a, he, he could be a really good signing for them he's got a, a little bit of, a little bit about him and um, I know they've been trying uh, with Lacava and um, Moreira on the wings but I think um, San Louis could be someone who, who could get a start going forward because um, yeah I thought he took his goal well and uh, looked pretty good yeah um, and you know Vezela are a strange team this season important to remember you know this is a, this is a really important point for Vezela because they've only got one more point than Estoril themselves. So their season hasn't been going amazing so far. You know, Vizela were a team that we love so much under Alvaro Pacheco. And then um, since then, perhaps they've made some decisions that we didn't like. This season, they've gone for, you know, some even more left field signings than we expected. They've got a 36-year-old Spanish manager in Pablo Villar managing his first team ever as a senior manager. So 
you know, they're having a very strange season and I'm not quite convinced by them yet whether everything they're doing is is making sense. So, you know, Vizella themselves, not a team having a great season, I think. Um, they'll probably be pretty delighted with that point against Estoril, although, you know, this was two teams who've both got quite glaring weaknesses this season coming up against each other. So, you know, not the not the greatest game of football in the world, but uh, definitely an interesting one to to keep an eye on for for various reasons. Well, look, I think we're going to leave it there because it has been a bumper episode uh, this week. But before we go, well, we usually do a little game recommendation for a game that we should watch this weekend. But of course, it is Classico weekend, so we should have a little chat about that, Barney. First Classico of the season, Benfica versus Porto. Benfica are at home. And I think we should just have a quick chat about how you see this one going, where each team is at. Obviously, on paper, I think you're going to have to say... Benfica are are going into this as the as the favourites just because they've they've looked more competent than Porto this season. Although of course Porto are above Benfica in the table by I think one point, so it's been a strange one. You know Porto have struggled, but they've churned out results. Benfica have, have have looked good in moments, but have dropped points like they did against Boavista. But listen, it's going to be a, a fascinating game as always. I think I'm just tipping Benfica in this one because they just look like they're in a slightly better place than Porto at the moment, especially defensively. Well, I think last year it was very. There was a lot of talk about the. Well, we always knew it was going to be fiery affair, um, but what sort of came out of it was Schmidt's calmness, right? And the sort of he had. It felt like he had distilled that onto his team, uh, on on the pitch as well. I I feel like it's going to be a little bit more fiery this year. I don't know. Maybe Schmidt's had his had a bit more time in Portugal and got used to things and. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna. Uh, uh, I don't know. I've just got a feeling it's gonna be. It's gonna be messy. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a, a lot of challenges. It's gonna. It's gonna be tight. And I think, for reality, this is quite a big. We've talked about Porto. Sort of all season, we've been quite down on Porto, right? But they're still a point above Benfica. I think Benfica, we had really high hopes for, but they haven't quite been there. You know, there's, they've they've had their own issues. So I think for both teams, this is a really big game. A win would really perhaps kick their season on you know they could they could really push on from here so um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating and yeah i agree with you on paper i think benfica are a strong team they they they, they play the better football but then you can absolutely never rule out porto and Conchasau and the classico it's just you cannot do it something's gonna happen someone's gonna turn up um yeah, it's going to be great, whatever it is, and it's a nice, it's nice when it's Friday night as well. But I, I, I quite like when they, when they're on Friday nights. It feels, I don't know, it's better for me. <laughs> absolutely lovely. Yeah, no, I can't wait for that game. And and and, and like you said, you can absolutely never rule out Conceição's Porto in a, in a Clasico. So it's going to be a fascinating game. And and if you are looking for a recommendation of maybe something else you could watch um, this weekend after the excitement of the Clasico on Friday night, because there'll be three more days of Premier League of football for you to get into. Um, my recommendation would be the next day, Saturday at 6pm uh, and that's Boavista versus Family Cow and I mentioned after discussing Boavista's loss to, to Braga that how they respond to that loss could really define their season and they've got another very tough game. Family Cow, not a team we've covered an awful lot in this podcast but they're currently sitting fifth in the table so they're playing well and they've got good players and that's going to be a very interesting game so for me that would be definitely worth keeping an eye on. I like the look at Monday night. I was Jules and Casapia as well. That could be a nice little um, uh, tie. But perhaps Absolutely. a Monday night football we'll have to talk about. 
Absolutely, yeah. Good games all over the weekend. Well, look, that does bring us to the end of this episode. If you've enjoyed listening, um, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. Uh, and even better yet, if you've enjoyed listening for a while now, whether you're new to us this season or you've listened for uh, a season or two before this and you want to show us some real support, you can do so by becoming a socio on our Patreon page for just £1 a month and a link to that will be in the description of this podcast but I just need to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week